Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson, our lead team reporter. The Hogbeat Hour brought to you by Hogbeat.com and the Rivals Network. This is our, you know, once a week pod. We're going to be throwing in um, post-game reaction podcasts as well now. But um, this week it's Mississippi State and uh, the Hogs kick off at 630 in Starkville. The game is on the SEC alternate channel. So don't, you know, get all confused and scared that you can't find the game. It's on there. It's on the SEC Network alternate channel, 6.30 p.m. Um, Hutch, we didn't do our, our rapid reaction this week on Georgia, so let's knock that out really quick. Uh, I know a lot of people are probably already tired of rehashing it all week long, but um, you might have seen my halftime periscope. I know you were at the stadium. I was I was excited at halftime, and then uh, and then Georgia started getting competent. How dare they? Uh, what what were your thoughts during the first half? Yeah, I mean, for the first half, you were thinking like, "Wow, what? Who, who is this team?" I mean, the uh, the defense was phenomenal. I think they uh, forced punts on like the first six or seven possessions with an interception thrown in there. Uh, so it was a uh, just a totally stark contrast to what we were used to seeing last year and even the year before when Arkansas had historically bad defenses. So I think that was the, the main you know, positive takeaway. Uh, but then you also you can't help but talk about how poorly the special teams played. Uh, it was just uh, from, from top to bottom, just a really bad performance by coverage units, by uh, the – uh, punt protection unit got a punt block in there in the second half and uh, that was a little left a little bit to be desired especially when you've got a guy like Scott Fountain in there and then the offense I'm not I'm not ready to hit the panic button yet uh, because they were playing arguably the best defense in the country uh, but they they needed to do more I think they went three and out on uh, like half of their possessions uh, that's that's not going to cut it in the SEC yeah, they definitely had, you know, their heels on the chalk quite a bit. Um, but and it's tough without the running game. Like, Rakeem Boyd could not get going. I actually thought that Traylon Smith did a little bit better, and especially looking back at his stats, like, it seemed like, uh, you know, he was actually able to move forward a few yards, unlike um, Boyd. Um, but that's not going to be a problem this week against Mississippi State. So hopefully that was just, you know, top defense you know doing what they do and Arkansas just not being able to game plan out of it um, I think that part of it is like you know there's worries when you're so close to your own end zone if you try to throw it too much they're just coming right back the other way and maybe Kendall Bryles you know his first game here he doesn't want to be so aggressive in the play calling but I think at some point you have to realize and especially once Stetson Bennett came in and just started throwing completions like you have to realize you're not going to be able to keep up with that uh, you have to get aggressive and not Traylon Burks throwing the ball down 50 50 yards on the field into you know a 50 50 situation not that kind of aggressive just different um you know, disappointed that the wide receivers weren't able to gain more separation than they did. Traylon Burks, of course, he looked great over 100 yards and a touchdown. So good to see him doing that, but definitely need to get uh, Mike Woods and Trey Knox more involved. Um, I think Trey Knox ended up playing fewer snaps than Tyson Morris, right? Yeah, it was kind of an interesting takeaway from the snap counts from the weekends. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, Trinox doesn't have as much speed. Um, so he has to find other ways of getting open. And I guess, you know, maybe it's just the Georgia effect, but he, he couldn't get it done on Saturday. Um, and then in the second half, you're already tired and then you lose Dorian Gerald. So, uh, you know, it, it was kind of expected. Like once, once Georgia started looking competent with Stetson Bennett, the fourth, I was just like, okay, this is going to get out of hand quickly. Um, then the offense started making mistakes and yeah, that's that it kind of devolved into what we're used to seeing, but that first half, wow. That was hope instilling. Um, Georgia shot themselves in the foot a lot. There were a lot of penalties. I was surprised that Kirby Smart didn't have his guys more disciplined um, for the first half, but um, it made Arkansas look a little bit better. Uh, crazy that other coaches in the SEC have a tough time picking the most competent quarterback. Uh, you would think that they would kind of know what they had in Dewan Mathis, but maybe it was just, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't played in a game in a long time. He, you know, just in general, hasn't played a whole lot since he got to Georgia because of the brain surgery that he had. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's fun to see another coach have uh, trouble like that because usually you think it's pretty clear the difference in your guys and Stetson Bennett just came out and he looked really good. I mean, they probably feel like DeWan Mathis has the higher upside yeah. than a Stetson Bennett. And they're probably thinking, you know, we're playing a really bad Arkansas team. We can probably beat them even with DeWan Mathis. True. So let's let's give them some experience. You know, it's not like there's any easier uh, team on the schedule. I mean, they do play Vanderbilt, but I don't know when that falls on their schedule. So I bet that was part of it. Uh, they feel like Stetson Bennett probably was the safer choice, and he wasn't going to get you beat. Uh, he could probably beat a team like Arkansas, like we saw, uh, but could he, you know, beat a team like Auburn, like they're playing this weekend, right. in case JT Daniels isn't available? Yeah, Georgia didn't move at all in the top 25. I was surprised because they really didn't look very good. Um, but, yeah, getting JT Daniels back and him potentially playing, um, they might just, you know, get right back on and continue doing what they usually do. So maybe maybe that is appropriate. Um, but Arkansas got a surprise where now eight of their ten opponents are in the top 25 with Mississippi State giving it to LSU, the defending national champions with 623 passing yards. Wow. Um, the main thing I did was, I guess I didn't know that Mike Leach's offense is so easy to install. Um, I read a story from The Athletic today that went uh, in deep with it with um, Hal Mummy, and he was talking about how, um, yeah, you just go into practice, you give them these 20 plays that they need to run, and then the next day you add the next 20 and then the next 20, and then you just, you just hammer those until they can execute it to perfection. Um, and like the last line of the story was like, they can't execute well if they don't know what they're doing. And that is something that Arkansas had trouble with um, on Saturday against Georgia. I asked Felipe Franks about this after the game because I could see him like, um, I, I think it was Hudson Henry, like Hudson Henry was lined up on the wrong side and he had to like physically tap him to get him to move over to where he was supposed to be. And like Sam Pittman said, you just don't have the time that you need to 
survey the defense and, and figure out the coverages and stuff if you're in charge of making sure everyone is where they supposed where they're supposed to be. So um, Mike Leach was able to get his guys ready to go for week one, made a huge statement. Uh, what did you think of their first performance? Anytime you can go into Death Valley and put on a, a performance like that, it, it's impressive. Uh, kind of reminded me of how Arkansas went down and played there, I believe, in 2015 uh, and just really thoroughly dominated. And I was – I didn't get to make a trip make a trip for that game, but I did hear from some other uh, reporters. Like, they said they've never seen, like, the, the fans at Death Valley just pouring out of the exits. And I imagine it was a similar thing, granted, not as many fans – uh, in the stands uh, last weekend for the Mississippi State game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. I, I also was a little bit surprised by how easily they were able to install their offense. You know, that was a big reason I thought uh, Mississippi State was going to struggle this year. Uh, I remember looking back at the Mississippi – or the Washington State teams early on in Leach's career, and, and they struggled. They, they lost a lot of games, and I thought it would be similar – at Mississippi State, I thought he would eventually get it going where they were, you know, just prolific passing uh, offenses. Uh, I just didn't expect it week one against a team like LSU, even with the depleted uh, roster that they have. Yeah, well, you know, Mike Leach got to inherit a pretty decently recruited team. So, you know, Mississippi State, like, they, they consistently finish in the top 30, which is about, I think, where you expect a team like that with no – um, you know, blue blood real, really there. Um, so he still had a bunch of talent. And then we saw it in the off season. The second he landed KJ Costello, we were like, oh boy, he's got his guy now. Um, <laughs> KJ was a four star out of California. Um, he played, you know, in a, in a very nice system at Stanford had a pretty decent completion percentage. I think it was like 60%. Um, and then, yeah, so I'm sure they played each other uh, back in the Pac-12. So he knew what the air raid is and he knows what it can do for quarterbacks. Look at Gardner Minshew, who no one knew about. And I think he had to move around several places before he finally got his shot. Um, and so, yeah, KJ was smart and, and jumped onto the leech bandwagon. Uh, and just had a, had a great game. I mean, 60 attempts, no one had that many attempts or even close to that um, this past weekend. So uh, their goal is just to throw it up as many times as possible, and they finished with 36 completions. Um, the only way you're going to beat that is if you can keep up because it's, it's just really hard to stop. Um, you can, you know, stop a third down in here and there like LSU was able to do at the beginning of the game, but you just keep taking shots over and over. Like, it, it's, you're eventually going to end up in the end zone quite a few times. Um, so Arkansas has that to contend with. What did, you, what did you think of, like, Mike Leach coming to the SEC with um, the air raid? Because he was a candidate for Arkansas. I mean, he was a candidate. He's always a candidate, like, whenever uh, big jobs come open. But – People are afraid to touch Mike Leach. He's, he's pretty out there. Um, he had to be off Twitter like all summer long after, you know, posting maybe an insensitive meme. He posts memes all the time, but this one was a little bit, mm. uh, <laughs> So a lot of people didn't want to touch him. I think uh, Mississippi State offered him more money than Arkansas perhaps would have. And 
ended up giving Sam Pittman. So um, I know that I would have liked to see what he could do here, but um, getting off to a good start at Mississippi State. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting hire, and I wasn't necessarily surprised. I felt like it was only a matter of time. Uh, it seemed like he maybe had uh, hit the ceiling at Washington State. Uh, there's only uh, – so I mean, there was that one year where they came dangerously close to, I believe, making the, the playoff, uh, but then lost to, to Washington at the end of the year, and they always seemingly had a, an inexcusable loss here and there. I remember there were a couple of years where they lost to an FCS team early in the year and then ended up winning 10 games. I think they did that twice or something. So uh, I thought that it, it was an interesting hire. Uh, I wasn't sure how quickly he was going to get things going because it didn't seem like he had his system. But, I mean, as you mentioned, he was familiar with KJ Costello saw him in the transfer portal, got him there, got his guy. And, I mean, the guy that I think most people kind of thought might be the quarterback, uh, I believe Garrett Schrader, who ended up quarterbacking for him last year uh, at the end of the year, with more of a dual-threat guy. I was looking over their depth chart, and he's listed as a wide receiver now. So uh, that just kind of shows you he's going to put the athletes at wide receiver, and he's going to find somebody that can sling the ball all over the field like a K.J. Costello, like a Gardner Minshew, like a Graham Harrell, uh, and they're going to put up lots of yards. Another thing working to his benefit is that um, Joe Moorhead had, had some good recruiting classes on the defensive side of the ball, so he's got a pretty nice stock of defenders to work with. I don't know how well he will continue to recruit uh you know, defensive players, but for now he's got a nice group to work with. Um, against LSU, they had seven sacks all coming from different players, or I think, yeah, with the, with the half sacks, I think it was like seven or eight different players. So, uh, there's a lot of talent there. And when you're forcing teams to pass, if your pass protection isn't very good and your, your defensive line is switching and the linebackers are blitzing, like there's so much movement that it's just hard to stop. So they took advantage of that big time. And even though they themselves gave up five sacks to LSU, like it just, um, you know, the sacks against LSU came, I think there were four on fourth down or on third down. And then there were a couple that started their very last drive that they needed to like still have a chance. They started off backed up 16 yards. So uh, that put a damper on that final drive. So um, they just came up with the big plays when they needed it. And then also um, they had to um, interceptions of their own. So uh, they they've have defensive talent as well. They have a nice group of linebackers and Arkansas actually recruited several of them, just didn't land them. And, you know, you, you see what Arkansas's linebacker room looks like and you wish, you just wish they had landed some of those, just like whenever you see uh, Lockyer Henry playing at Ole Miss, you're like, man, he was so close. Would have made a gigantic difference but you know that's that's the cost of losing a recruiting battle um especially at the last second um and on the flip side of that i think arkansas has several guys that were previously committed to mississippi state i think Greg Brooks jr yeah Brooks, I, maybe joe fouché I, I don't know there was there were several guys especially defensive backs who uh were originally committed to mississippi state and then ended up flipping to arkansas so uh, i guess it kind of kind of goes both ways whenever uh, you're in the SEC. 
Yeah, I think that's a credit to Ron Cooper, the former uh, safeties coach here. He had a big influence in Louisiana and was able to get those guys to flip over to him um, to, you know, the next staff's benefit. Um, the special teams, I wanted to look at Mississippi State's special teams because Arkansas did so poorly with it um, this past week. Um, it looked like you know, there were plenty of punts at the beginning of the game. Um, I think the Mississippi State punters averaged like 39 and a half or something like that. So, you know, decent punts. Um, Mississippi State was – they started two drives inside their own 10-yard line, and one resulted in a fumble, and the other resulted in an interception. So if Arkansas can manage – oh, the other one was also a pick. So there was one from the – they started from the 11-yard line, and that was also a pick. So if they can get them backed up, maybe that will also create the kind of pressure that you only get when your field, you know, is so short, and then they can come up with some big plays that way. But then on the other side, there were a bunch of kickoffs that were, I think, um, touchbacks. So, you know, it, it doesn't seem like uh, Arkansas will have – an advantage one way or the other. I don't think Mississippi State had many return yards, if any at all. So, yeah, seems seems like it's going to be okay. They don't have some, you know, SEC player of the week punter. Well, the the Georgia guy was was incredible. Uh, he he was he reminded me of kind of Braden Mann from Texas A&M and Max Duffy from Kentucky the last couple of years. Uh, so if uh, if Arkansas can just if, if Traylon Burks gets an opportunity to return a punt, we've seen what he can do with the ball in his hands. So I, I hope he gets an opportunity just because I think it would be really fun to see. And, you know, Arkansas has now gone 100 straight games without a punt return for a touchdown. It's, it's been almost a, almost a decade since Joe Adams <laughs> left Arkansas. So uh, hopefully he gets an opportunity, but he, he didn't really get that chance last, last week with Georgia. So 623 passing yards from KJ Costello on 36 completions last week. You know who might not be as upset as we thought he would be? Kylan Hill, the the SEC's leading returning rusher. Uh, he didn't rush for 100 yards or hardly any, but he did have over 100 receiving, I think, on eight receptions and either one or two touchdowns. So um, he is still incredibly active. And that running back receiver uh, is going to probably create the biggest problems for Arkansas on Saturday. Yeah, I expect Mississippi State to be able to kind of dump it down to them on these short passes. And you know, even if you've got everything defended deep so you, you can't throw deep on Arkansas, uh, you've still got that opportunity to, to dink it down to Kylan Hill, who once he has the ball in his hands, it's basically like an extended handoff. And uh, he he can make something happen with the ball in his hands. And I think last week he, I, I want to say had over 150 receiving yards on like eight catches. It was, it was pretty incredible. I, I, I even wrote in my preseason predictions that I expected Kylan Hill to not necessarily have a thousand rushing yards or anywhere close to what he had last year, but I expected him to fully make up for it, you know, in the receiving game. I just didn't expect it to be quite that drastic, you know, from the jump. Do you think that he gets drafted as high as he would have if, like, the system had remained the same and he rushed for over a thousand yards? Like, he's still showing he's a great runner because you know yards after the catch. Like, you still have to avoid tackles and all that, but you're not running between the holes on the offensive line. 
I think it's going to help his draft stock just because you do want to see some versatility. I mean, that was one of the big things uh, the, the scouts talked about with Rakeem Boyd, even though Rakeem doesn't agree with it. They, they said, you know, hey, we want to see him catch more passes out of the backfield. That's something that they do in the NFL. And so now he's, he's proven – he's already proven that he can run for 1,200 yards or whatever it was against SEC defenses. So now he's going to try to probably go out there and, and have a 1,000 yards receiving or whatever and really truly show just how versatile he is as a, as a running back. No one has uh, thrown for that many yards on um, anybody in a long time in the SEC, but Arkansas back in 2015 – um, you know, the record was set by Dak Prescott. What do you remember from that game? That was one of the most incredibly quarterback games by both teams I've ever witnessed live. Uh, it, it was Dak Prescott of Mississippi State versus Brandon Allen of Arkansas. And I mean, both quarterbacks were incredible. Brandon Allen threw for over 400 yards, uh, seven touchdown passes, tying the SEC record breaking the Arkansas record that he had set just a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, and it was a 51 to 50 shootout that Arkansas should have won. Uh, they had the ball drove down the field and in like the final minute or so they had it down around the 20 or inside the 20. And instead of letting Brandon Allen, who had done it all game with no interceptions had been an incredibly high completion percentage, Brett Bielema decided to, uh, just run the ball up the middle and run the clock down, force Mississippi State to use its timeouts and try for a game-winning field goal, which naturally, in typical Arkansas fashion, was blocked. And uh, Arkansas did not win. It was a very confusing uh, decision at the time. I remember I was down on the sideline uh, when it happened, waiting to go into the postgame. And I was telling everyone around me, I said, what are they doing? Keep throwing the ball. And the thing I think that was most frustrating for Arkansas fans was I think a couple of those runs weren't even with Alex Collins, your 1,500-yard rusher, the guy that could potentially break a 20-yard run for a touchdown. It was with Cody Walker, a short yardage guy. Hey, he trusted the kicker. And we all know you can't trust a college kicker, period. And especially not, not the guy that Arkansas had. He was already proven to be inconsistent, so – yeah, it was, a, it was an incredible, wild shootout, and, and we could be in store for another one of those. I mean, uh, who knows if Felipe Franks could, you know, maybe get things going this week against a defense that's not quite as good as George's. And, and we, of course, we know what K.J. Costello is capable of. I mean, he just, he's coming off of a SEC record, uh, 623 passing yards. So it, it, it could be a, a, an exciting, uh, up-and-down, entertaining game. You know, something we didn't talk about when we were recapping the Georgia game, it was our first post-game, post-loss uh, press conference with Sam Pittman. What did you think of his demeanor? I thought he went back a little bit to, like, the first time we ever talked to him. He's very quiet, kind of, you know, he just spoke in a low voice. Um, but, like, there was no real coach speak involved, like not more than like, I don't know, your average amount. And then um, he was just very straight up and honest about what they did wrong. And even more so when we talked to him on Monday after he got a chance to look at the tape. So what was your impression of that? Yeah, I was really impressed. Uh, I mean, you're right. He was definitely a little bit quiet, a little bit reserved. Uh, not quite. I mean, he's he's never really super outgoing. He's a pretty chill guy at all times. Uh, 
So it, it was, but it was very, very honest, very open. Uh, he gave some thoughtful answers, uh, stuff that you could actually uh, use in stories. Uh, it wasn't, as he said, just the useless coach speak that everyone says. So uh, I thought it was good. And I mean, even whenever he was asked, you know, tough questions, I think I ended the press conference with the question about the, uh, the trick plays. And he, he basically said, you know, I trust my offensive coordinator and that's going to be something we do. We're going to run trick plays. Uh, I didn't necessarily agree with that, but uh, that was Sam Pittman, you know, sticking to his guns. I, I, I like to see that. Yeah, he's never going to, you know, like publicly disagree with his coordinators. Like that's not the job that he has. He has to be like the CEO and, you know, always put on a good face for the team. But I do wish that we got to talk to the coordinators this year on Mondays like we did before because there are questions like we just want to know what they were thinking. Like we're not trying to be negative or like, you know, crush them on something, but like, you know, we, we want to tell people what the coaches were thinking when they called certain things or, you know, put in a certain player and that we don't really get to do except through Pittman. And at that point, it just depends on what he wants to share with us. So that's kind of a, a bummer. Yeah, I mean, really the people that hurts are the fans. Uh, I think people hear us talking about that and they say, oh, why is, why is the media complaining? Media bad. Uh, but I, I don't think that they uh, fans understand. Like, we want to be able to talk to these guys because they can provide insight. They can answer these questions that people are going to be bombarding us on Twitter and on the message boards. Uh, we don't know why they decided to call the trick plays when they did. Uh, we don't know certain uh, defensive things and, and just guys that have been around football as long as Kendall Browse and Barry Odom, uh, they would be able to provide some, some really good insight uh, that maybe a head coach who's taken on the CEO kind of perspective, like you mentioned, uh, would be able to do. So it, it is disappointing, but uh, hey, at least, at least we get to talk to Sam Pittman a couple of times every week and, and he's pretty uh, genuine and open. I, I wanted to talk to the coordinators last year and the year before that because Chad Morris never said anything. And so, you know, as, as much as Joe Craddock, you know, people criticized him, he usually gave some decent answers in the press conferences. He usually was pretty open and, and stuff. Uh, John Chavis, not so much, uh, but uh, I, I don't know what I would have done last year if there was no Joe Craddock to, to answer some questions. <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd, you know, withstand the fire pretty well. John Chavis, not so much, but maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't even ask as many tough questions of him. It's just kind of like, why aren't you guys playing better? <laughs> um, um, you wrote up the freshman report for this past weekend. Um, who stood out to you? Obviously, Miles Slusher got the uh, fumble recovery, but um, who else? Yeah, that was probably the biggest uh, takeaway was how much he played. I think he ended up playing 16 snaps on defense. Uh, that's, that's pretty significant for safety. Arkansas is traditionally, even you know the previous few defensive coordinators, uh, would not really rotate much in the secondary. You don't see that uh, as much rotation uh, across all of football in the secondary. Uh, so it was it was good to see him get in there and get some action. He graded out really well. Uh, and really, he was the only true freshman that played I would, what I would consider significant snaps. I mean, Blaine Toll, I think, played the second most on offense, uh, but he only played nine, and I'm pretty sure they all came on the final drive of the game. 
even though he was listed as a, a co-starter with with Hudson Henry on the depth chart. So did Bla- did um, Blake Kern? <laughs> I'm just like mixing all their names up because they sound so similar. Did Blake Kern end up playing more snaps than Toll, even though Toll was listed? I I totally missed that. Yeah. Uh, so Hudson Henry and Blake Kern played almost identical number of snaps. I think oh, okay. there's like one or two difference mm-hmm. with with Henry playing the most and and uh, Toll. I believe he might have gotten in for one snap earlier in the game, but at least eight, if not all nine of his snaps came on the final possession of the game uh, with KJ Jefferson in at quarterback. Uh, He did get called for a false start. uh, So that was uh, a little bit of a negative, Uh, but they did Marcus Henderson. uh, We got to see him for one snap. You know, he's a, you know, the offensive lineman that was at one point, the backup left tackle on camp who they moved to tight end. Uh, I don't know how much of a tight end he is as much as a sixth offensive lineman, uh, but he was uh, in for one snap. It was a snap when KJ Jefferson came in for their little package at one point, I believe in the second quarter uh, and was kind of a lead blocker on that play. So those are probably the most significant ones. You know, the kickoff guy is Vito Calvaruso, uh, a walk-on kicker. Uh, and he did a good job on two of his three kickoffs on his other one, it went about as poorly as you could have because uh, he hit a line drive right to the goal line that Georgia was able to return for 40-something yards. Had another kickoff, but that was after the safety, and he he kicked the hell out of it. Uh, but because it was further back uh, because of the safety, it, it was returnable, and uh, they got another 40-something yards on the return. That goes back to the, the poor special teams play. Um, We talked to four Razorbacks this week. I talked to Traylon Burks and Brady Latham. Brady Latham for the first time. um, He's, you know, a a redshirt freshman starting on the offensive line. And then you talked to Simeon Blair and Monteric Brown. Um, My guys didn't give a whole lot. Um, Both commented on the fact that they think that they can pick up their, you know, pre-snap communication um this week they said that they have been going well in practice I guess just you know under the lights when you're getting a game when everything's moving so fast uh, it just didn't translate that well um I'm trying to think of what else they gave us but it it really wasn't a lot um Brady Latham he just he just impresses me I know that there was a a clip circulating of one of the bulldogs putting him on his ass but like that happens it happens to the best of them whatever move on um what did you get from Simeon Blair new scholarship player Simeon Blair and Monteric Brown I really enjoyed the conversation with Simeon it's always cool to get to talk to a guy that was a former walk-on who was put on scholarship and he kind of told us a little bit about his about his story you know he's a Pine Bluff uh he's out of Pine Bluff so he's an Arkansas kid Uh, he said he had a couple opportunities out of the SWAC you know in the FCS uh, but he decided that when he was making his decision, he wanted to come to Arkansas because he felt like he could he could earn a scholarship. And, you know, he did that. Not only that, but he actually started against Georgia, the number four team in the country. And uh, not only that, but, but played pretty well. Uh, he had a, a pass breakup. A lot of people I've seen uh, have said that it, it could have been a pick six. Uh, I'd like to see another replay on it. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but still, he got a pass breakup, had a few tackles, graded out really well. I think the top grade on defense from Pro Football Focus uh, playing in for uh, Joe Fouché, who uh, was limited because of uh, he had been missed. He had missed a, 
several practices leading up to the game. Didn't get back until Thursday. So uh, really cool to to get to hear his story and then also just talking to him and Monteric just about preparing for the air raid offense. I mean, this has got to be stuff that they get really fired up about because they're, they're going to have so many opportunities to, to make plays. I mean, they, they both talked about the importance of intercepting passes when they come to you. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how you might be able to get a third stop, third down stop here or there against this offense. Well, you may also get a chance to intercept a pass or two uh, because there are, you know, 60 passes in the air. So uh, I think they're, they're, just, they're just really excited to, to have this opportunity to go up against a, an offense like that. I am um, beating you now in the uh, interception race. I picked Monteric Brown to win. So uh, one to me. And who did you pick? I, I think it was Jalen Catalan. I, I think. I'm pretty sure I picked Monteric. I'm pretty sure I said. I'm oh, sure. dang it. I picked Dorian Gerald to win the sack race, and he is also winning, but now he's hurt. So <laughs> never mind. It's I a take, good start. I just take that all black. I take it all back. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was looking at uh, this breaking news that we have today as we're talking about the secondary. Uh, Sam Pittman said he wants to rotate more players in. Well, they have, at least for this season, one less player in the secondary and for now one less defensive lineman as Dorian Gerald continues to recover from whatever ankle injury he might have, whether that's a serious injury or not. We don't know yet, um, but Jarquez McClellan, backup cornerback, 2019 starter. He opted out today. He said that he had been quarantined twice since he had come back uh, to campus. And like he uh, had watched his mother struggle while being on a ventilator last year um, in an unrelated situation. And so um, he's, I guess he's just, you know, putting his health first and opting out. And since they get a free year, you know, he's not starting this year. So I guess he can try again next year and get more reps. I mean, Jerry Jacobs and Monteric Brown played, I think almost all the defensive snaps. So um, it sucks because, you know, if one of those two guys goes down, um, I don't really know who the next number three is, I guess, Kari Johnson. I hope he can play both sides pretty well. I think they can, they rotate these guys around a lot, but um, after that, it gets, you know, a little bit tougher. Yeah. I mean, people talk about Jarquez and his struggles last year. I mean, he's, he's a two-year starter because he also started nine games in 2018. So uh, he's a, he's an experienced guy who, who yes, has had his struggles, uh, but still to have him as your number three corner uh, behind Monteric and, and Jacobs, uh, that that was going to be pretty valuable for them. And I thought it was a very big addition getting him back this week. I mean, I think two hours before Jarquez tweeted his announcement, Sam Pittman was telling us that, you know, he, he was ready to go and that he'd look good in practice. So uh, kind of interesting timing, uh, especially getting ready to play a team like Mississippi State. Uh, but, uh, you know, Arkansas have to, to make do. I mean, Devin Bush could be a guy that could get in the mix. He's uh, also Ladari back this week, yep. And Ladarius Bishop, uh, he's listed as the backup nickel behind Greg Brooks, but, you know, he's a guy that's played corner in the past, so he can maybe fill in and, and play some corner. And, and who knows about uh, – it sounds like uh, there were three other defensive backs who were at the game on Saturday but not dressed out. Uh, there was Miles Mason, the safety, 
uh, Micah Smith, another safety, and also Malik Chavis, a corner. Uh, it tip. It looked like they, you know, may have been out for injuries or whatever, but they may have also been, you know, in quarantine until Friday, which obviously right. you're not going to be able to play. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe they're going to be back, and that's it's still some help in the secondary. But man, it's going to be all hands on deck this weekend. Yeah, and then the defensive line, they don't have Dorian Gerald, but they do get back Mateo Soli, who started many games last season because Dorian Gerald was out. Um, and then we saw Zach Williams. Um, I don't know how many snaps he played. I don't have it pulled up, but uh, he had a few big plays. So he already sticks out in my mind. He's a lot bigger than he was last season. So um, it's just about, you know, getting them rotated in at the proper moments. You know, you still want to make sure your best players are on the field when they need to be there. But in, in less, uh, I, in, in Mississippi State's offense, it's tough to tell when there's going to be an explosive play. So it might not be that easy to pick your moments to rotate guys in, but, um, that's just another challenge that Barry Odom gets to work with, um, with this Mississippi State offense in the air raid, like if you're Barry Odom, what do you what do you think you're doing in, in coverage? I am dropping as many people as I can into coverage. Uh, I, I truly am. I mean, you're, you're talking about maybe being in the dime uh, with six defensive backs at least. Um, and, and you're really hoping that you're four – uh, defensive lineman can get a lot of pressure, make KJ Costello uncomfortable. That's been talked about this week as being a major key, something I wrote about uh, on Thursday. So uh, that, that's that's going to be key. I mean, you're going to need guys like Zach Williams, Mateo Soli, Julius Coates, uh, Eric Gregory, uh, your defensive tackles, Jonathan Marshall, uh, Isaiah Nichols, Xavier Kelly. Those guys are all going to need to try to get after the quarterback and uh, maybe you can get home for a few sacks, or if not, you know, maybe you can get a hand in his face, make him make a bad throw, and guys like Monteric Brown or Jalen Catalan can can uh, get in there and break it up or intercept it. That's that's going to be uh, kind of the key. You just got to get a few stops, and you better hope your offense is going to put up some points for you too. What did you see this week when you did uh, the the comparisons between the two teams? I know that. Uh, a certain bar stool Mississippi State fan uh, was like, "Oh, they're equal on paper. Uh, what paper is that?" Ha ha ha! But what did you see for real? Yeah, the Mississippi State fans did not like it, uh, but <laughs> but they least, clicked on it and they read it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, on paper, yeah, they they are relatively close, and I mean, I'm talking, you know, statistically. Obviously, it's a one-game sample size, and there are some very stark differences. I mean, 623 passing yards to 203 or something like that for Arkansas. Uh, but if you look at the what we do is we compare the projected starting lineups side-by-side side as recruits. And if you look at that, they're pretty close. I mean, Mississippi State has recruited a lot better lately. Uh, I think they do have a, a five, former five-star recruit as their left tackle right now. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there's it's pretty even. Uh, there's a few spots where Arkansas has the edge. And uh, if you look at the pro football focus grades, even though Arkansas lost by 27 to Georgia and uh, Mississippi State beat LSU by 10, the pro football focus grades are pretty even. And, and not there's not any, like, glaring spots where it's just, you know, super different. I mean, maybe except for the offensive line, and that works in Arkansas's favor. I mean. Mississippi State's offensive line apparently really struggled in pass protection. 
against LSU and 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 as not necessarily as well as Arkansas didn't play necessarily well against Georgia, but they weren't as bad as Mississippi State. So I think they ended up being eleven to eleven in terms of you know which side by side player uh, had the edge on Pro Football Focus, and it was relatively close on the recruiting side of things. I think that just illustrates you know a few uh, Mississippi State fans pointed out like, yeah, we've put up 50 on y'all the last two years well yeah that just shows you how terrible of a coach Chad Morris was because Mississippi State comparatively speaking is a lot closer to Arkansas talent wise than an Alabama or an LSU so uh, it it could it could be a little bit closer than maybe what the the Vegas line I think it opened at 16 I don't know what it is now but uh, it, went it, up to 18 and back down to 16 and a half. So a lot of people started hammering that line and they had to bring yeah. it down. That sounds about right. Cause I could see it being, I'm not necessarily going to sit here and say Arkansas could win this game uh, or will win this game. I mean, they certainly could, I'm not going to pick it to happen, uh, but I could see it being closer than 16. Um, you also wrote a story this week um, that surprised me, probably surprised a lot of other people that saw it. Um, after holding Georgia to, you know, just five points in the first half, uh, Arkansas's chances to beat other teams still went down <laughs> this week, according to the ESPN FPI, um, including a minus 10% chance to beat Missouri that didn't play very well against Alabama at all. So that was crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that – the FPI, I mean, I could be wrong on this, but the computer I don't think recognizes the fact that, you know, it was still, a, I think, a 19-point game for Missouri against Alabama. I don't think they recognized that it was a blowout in the first half and right. a really good second half by Missouri whenever Alabama took everybody out, mm-hmm. whereas at Arkansas it was the reverse. Arkansas did really well in the first half before just kind of uh, collapsing in the third quarter uh, slash second half so uh, I think that's probably the reasoning behind it uh, I'm still not ready to say that you know I, w- I wouldn't have if it was me in charge of like kind of get guesstimating percentages for each of the remaining games I wouldn't have dropped Missouri that low now M- M- Mississippi State they went from Arkansas having like a 50 percent chance to having a 25 percent chance that's a pretty significant drop but that's in response to them going in there and whooping LSU and Death Valley yeah, and then also the record projections. Arkansas is now most likely a 31.9% chance of going one and nine. So my question is, who is the one after watching the game, uh, the games last Saturday? My guess is Missouri. Um, I didn't watch much of that game because I knew what was going to happen, um, but I did watch a lot of the Ole Miss game, and they looked pretty good like decent so I I think that Missouri is probably the best bet yeah that, that's probably the easy thing to say uh the only thing I would consider flipping that is the fact that Ole Miss is here at home and Missouri is on the road huge difference with that crowd but, well yeah plus uh that's later in the season and I mean if, if Arkansas sitting at 0-8 heading into the Missouri game what's their mindset going to be? I don't expect them to roll over and die like they did last year, 
I think Sam Pittman won't let that happen, but still that that's going to take a toll on you. Cause I mean, at that point, what if Missouri's Oh, and Oh, and eight with a, with a loss to Vanderbilt, I, they probably play Vanderbilt. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They play Vanderbilt in the East. So, I mean, that, that's possible. I mean, even if they're one and seven, they're probably not got a great mindset, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see Arkansas, I could see Arkansas winning both of those games to be quite honest. I mean, that's what I picked in the preseason. I think I'm going to stick with it for right now. I'd like to see, a larger sample size, uh, you know, ask me again after the Auburn game and I'll probably have a better idea if they have a chance against Ole Miss. Um, you probably listened to more of Mike Leach this week than I did. You listened to him on the SEC coaches call and everything. Um, he gave the Arkansas defense their credit. He actually watched the game. Um, and he said they were tenacious um and he's you know he he sounded like you know they're not gonna overlook Arkansas by any means um what did you take away from what you heard from him I hope I hope his press conferences don't just turn into like a big joke like they did in Pullman like he still has to answer regular football questions they can't just all be questions looking for a a funny response yeah I I think everyone gets so caught up in the funny stuff that he says Mm mm-hmm but I mean, you're taking maybe a two minute clip from an hour's worth of press conferences each week or something. So I, I could imagine that probably wears on the, the beat writers in Starkville. Cause I mean, I listened to him on the SEC teleconference this week and it was really pretty boring to be honest. It was, it was a pretty big letdown. I, I was all excited getting ready to, to hear something funny. Uh, but that, it just wasn't the case. I mean, he, he gave very bland, generic answers when asked about you know football stuff, and then he he went on for about I don't know four minutes talking about Lincoln Riley and uh, offensive coordinator head coaches who also are their own offensive coordinators calling plays because there was a a reporter from Oklahoma who was doing a story on that. So it was uh you know pretty pretty disappointing letdown for for my first true Mike Leach in the SEC experience. I'm sure there'll be you know, better moments. I, I mean, there were better moments earlier in the week that I saw clips of that had me cracking up. But again, it, it wasn't really football stuff. I mean, he's talking about cardboard cutouts and you know, oh, yeah, just, that just was funny. weird The stuff. Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so Arkansas now has, you know, a, a big, big challenge in front of them on the road. Let's, I guess, dive into some predictions. Like, you know, this is, I don't, I don't have like a score in my head, but as I'm thinking about making my now weekly Hogbeat SEC bets, I'm kind of leaning towards Mississippi State with uh, the, uh, the over there. I just, I haven't seen enough of the Arkansas offense doing well to believe in them being able to keep up with what we saw was a a good Mississippi state offense. Like there's no way around it. They were very good. And I don't believe Arkansas's defense is better than LSU's defense, even when they were depleted. I just don't believe that. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's the over under for this game. Even I'm curious about that. Cause I think betting the over for any game Mississippi state's involved in would, would be a pretty good bet. Um, yeah. And then I also pick the Bulldogs to cover. Yeah. I, I don't know if, I would say that I think Arkansas keeps it within 14. Uh, 
I mean, I could also see it being a, a really tight game. I mean, it, that would not surprise me. My preseason prediction, I believe, was 45-42 Bulldogs. Uh, that might it might not be that close because, as I said, Mississippi State's a lot better than you know I originally anticipated them being. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe it's uh, 45, you know, 45-31, something like that. Uh, where Arkansas kind of where Arkansas covers it could be like last week against Georgia where they only cover by a point or so uh, but I, I, I think Arkansas covers the um the the over is 69 nice <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> um around the SEC Auburn and Georgia that is probably going to be one of the most watched games of the week for sure um who did Auburn play last week Kentucky. I'm already, I'm already forgetting things. You got um, that. You picked that game correctly, and I did not. I, I really thought Kentucky would play better than they did. <laughs> um, they got screwed out of a touchdown. Kentucky did. It was the most horrible call I've ever seen. It was. They did, unreal. and then they had the makeup call after that. So. I mean, a makeup call to say it, it was going to be a 14th point swing because Auburn had a pick six, but they, they ended up calling that back and ended up just being you know, a, I guess a, a four points or I guess a seven point swing because they should have had a touchdown. They should have at least had a field goal and they had nothing. And it was eight to seven Auburn at halftime. And, you know, Auburn, Auburn pulled away in the second half. So after we saw last week with Georgia, is anyone comfortable picking them against Auburn this week? I don't know. I mean, are we confident Chad Morris's offense is going to be able to to put up points on that Georgia defense? I mean, as as poorly uh-huh. as uh-huh. <laughs> as poorly as Georgia's offense played, uh, you know, and who knows what they're going to look like. I mean, is JT Daniels going to be their starting quarterback? Are they going to stick with Stetson Bennett? I don't know. There's still a lot of question marks there, but I do know that defense is going to be very, very good and could make life hard on Chad Morris and company. Probably the most watched clip of the week besides Traylon Burks's touchdown, at least in Razorback Nation, was probably uh, Gus Malzahn apparently kind of getting into a, a little heated argument with Chad Morris on the sideline. I think that's so funny. We don't even know what he was saying, but just the fact that, you know, like, he, you know, he's not a head coach, he's an offensive coordinator, he has to like answer to someone. It's just kind of funny. Um, LSU plays Vanderbilt, so we get to see like, you know, what's up with Vanderbilt. <laughs> they played pretty well against A&M, at least from the score. I didn't watch that game because I didn't have a bet on it. So I just kind of ignored it. Um, yeah, LSU is a pretty heavy favorite. <laughs> you got a, a feel about that one either way? Oh, I mean, you would like to think LSU should be able to beat a Vanderbilt. But then again, Vanderbilt hung with A&M last week. So uh, I, I like LSU. Spread to is win twenty-one. That game. So, I—I I mean, I, I think LSU. I think after having what they had done to them against Mississippi State, I think they're going to come out and try to prove a point, and they may not take their foot off the gas if they do get up big. Um, LSU played man-to-man coverage for like the entire game against Mississippi State, and that was a big mistake. <laughs> um, Bo Pelini over at LSU, like apparently he went straight to Coach O and was like, I need to do better. And everyone else was like, yeah, we agree. Um, 
Texas A&M and Alabama. Wow. I didn't even know that was on the schedule this week. That is a good game. Um, what you think Bama? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was a fool and got caught up in Texas A&M hype in the off season. Uh, that that's a big no, no in the sec. Uh, I thought Kellen Mond was, was ready for a, a breakout senior year. I thought that A&M, I picked A&M second in the West behind Alabama. Uh, and then they go out and they almost lose to Vanderbilt. So, a lot uh, of teams, though, you know, you don't have the warm-up games. You don't have these, you know, scrub teams to try things out and, and see where your weaknesses are and all that kind of stuff. So I'm hoping I'm not placing too much on, like, you know, week one performances. Um, hopefully I am for Arkansas, and they're actually much better than they were. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, it, it is a very important game for Kellen Mond. I mean, this is going to be uh, kind of like, you know, Arkansas fans will remember Brandon Allen having the, I think, I guess where, where he really started turning things around his senior year was the Auburn game when Arkansas won in four overtimes. He, and Brandon Allen was incredible in that game and, and was incredible for the second half of the year. Kellen Mond's going to need to have a performance like that against Alabama, even even if that's not enough to win. And I don't think it is. I think Alabama wins it by, you know, multiple scores. Uh, I think he needs to have a good performance if A&M still going to have a, a good year. Um, Kentucky is a seven-point favorite against Ole Miss. That holds up to me, I think. Which, what say you? Yeah, I still think Kentucky's a quality team. Uh, I, I got a little carried away thinking they had a chance to beat Auburn, uh, but I still think they have an excellent offensive line. I still think they have a pretty good defense. Uh, so uh, I think Kentucky, I believe that game's in Lexington, right? Yeah. Um, and so, Joey, Joey Gatewood just got cleared to play the uh, Auburn transfer. Yeah, so, may, maybe we see a little bit of him because Terry yeah. Wilson did not impress me. I mean, there was times where he was, it didn't look like he could throw the ball 20 yards down the field against Auburn. It was, it was pretty sad. So uh, should be interesting to watch at least just to see if they uh, have a little bit of, quarterback competition brewing there and then last but not least uh missouri and tennessee where tennessee is a uh, 12 point favorite Whew. yeah i i honestly have no idea <laughs> i mean uh, i'd probably still go for tennessee in the and you know to cover yeah eli drinkwitz you know missouri's coach uh, he's a guy that i'm very familiar with i played for him back in the day so i i kind of like to keep an eye on him and see how he's doing uh, but Tennessee, if they're going to be for real, then they need to come out and, 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 and beat Missouri. Uh, I thought that they would have beaten South Carolina uh, bigger than they did. Instead, it was just a four-point margin. So uh, yeah, that I, I don't really know what to think. <laughs> I think. I think t- Tennessee is going to be – is kind of like the – it's the East version of Texas A&M. Like, there's always the hype. Are they ever going to live up to it? And, I, you know, still, still remains to be seen. And then the final game of the week is Florida and South Carolina. Um, I think I watched some South Carolina last weekend, but I, it's not, it's, I'm not recalling much of what went down, but um, I'm always going to go with Florida in this household. What about you? Yeah, Florida is my pick to win the East. So uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take Florida in that. I think their offense is very good. Uh, you know, I think that they, they're with Dan Mullen in charge they're going to be able to put up some points and, and I don't expect it to be 
close like South Carolina's game with Tennessee. I, I think that Florida's going to uh, really pull away and win that one uh, relatively large. I think that's everything for the week. Um, again, Arkansas is playing on the SEC Network alternate channel, so don't uh, forget it's at 6.30 p.m. in Starkville. We won't be there, but our handy-dandy friends at Bulldog Blitz will be out there in the press box pregame feeding us info on who has traveled, who has not, all the all the stuff you need to know before you put in your uh, pregame bets if you do that right before the game. Um, as always, on Hogbeat, if you're not a subscriber already, you can get 30 days free with code HOGS30, H-A-W-G-S-30. We have all the premium content. We'll have the pro football focus stats, uh, the live thread. It got lit last weekend. Uh, it's always a good time. Uh, join us on hogbeat.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.